All right, thanks, Trevor. Good morning, Beacon Church. It is so good to be here. Like Trevor said, I uh, have so many friends here. Uh, Robert has been just a dear friend of mine for, for so long, over a decade now, and uh, it's really a privilege for me to be able to be here with you this morning. I, I also love this series that Beacon Church is in, the memeing of life, talking about relationships. And the reason for that is because we have relationships with everyone, whether we realize that or not. So some of those are long-standing relationships. Maybe you've been married for 10, 20, 30, 50 years. But then we also have relationships with the person behind us at Stop and Shop and the person driving next to us on the road. I often think about that. I don't even realize the extent to which I have a relationship with the people who are driving next to me, right? So think about this for a second. Let's just say you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off. What is it that you want to do more than anything else? Whether you do it or not, what is it that you want to do more than anything else? Is there not a part of you that wants to zip in front of that guy and cut him back off, yeah? Maybe slow down a little bit after that, just teach him a lesson, give him a, a taste of his own medicine. Or, or, or if someone is, is rude to you, we instinctively are, tend to be rude back, even without, without even thinking about it sometimes. And we want to get even. There's this something inside of us that just wants to get even, wants to seek out justice. And, you know, hey, we're in church now, right? So, you know, we're talking about, hey, you know, maybe instead of getting even, you should smother them with, with kindness. It's like, it's like heaping coals on their head, right? And, uh, or my dad used to say, oh, you know, the best revenge is to, you know, prove them wrong. And, you know, I guess there's, there's something to that sentiment. But I think the great philosopher, Dwight Schrute, probably said it best, right? And when someone said that revenge was anything other than what it is, he says false. Revenge is the best revenge, right? And uh, sometimes it's people that you don't even expect who are the ones who are exacting revenge. And they, they sit quietly and they plot revenge. And, and the Bible tells us not to let our anger like, be with us, not to let the sun set on our anger. So it says, never go to bed angry, stay awake and plot revenge. i got to tell you something. When I was looking up revenge memes, there was a disproportionate amount of revenge memes that involved cats, which <laughs> honestly confirms everything that I have ever feared about cats as they stare at me and look into my soul, and I have no idea what they're thinking. But regardless... There is something deep inside of us that wants justice because our economy is this. Our economy says, if you have taken something from me, then you owe me something. If you've taken something from me, then you owe me something. And we want justice because we are made in the image of God. That the deep sense of our need to make something imbalanced, balanced again, is actually because every person walking on the face of this earth is made in the image of God, and God's character is one of justice. That's the reason we feel what we feel inside. So when we talk about extending forgiveness, it becomes difficult. Because we, we tend to think that extending forgiveness to someone is somehow ignoring our sense, of G, our sense of justice. But Jesus claims 
that when we lean into our sense of justice, lean into what it means that we're made in the image of God in that way, it actually helps us understand forgiveness and extending forgiveness in a way that actually makes us more human, not less. Makes us more of the people that we were created to be. And the scriptures are full of this call on our lives to give up our right to revenge and to extend forgiveness. So there's clearly some kind of connection here. Jesus talks about it all the time. The scriptures talk about it from the first page to the last. That there's clearly something about forgiveness that is central to what it means to be this renewed human. The type of human that you were created to be all along. But what is it really? What is it? How do we do it? And Jesus makes some really powerful claims about this that we're going to take a look at this morning. One thing I would say from the start, anytime you see some letters in red in your Bible, it is Jesus making a claim about something. And when Jesus makes a claim about something, then you and me are left with a choice. It is not intended to beat us down. It is a claim and we are left with a choice to decide, is this true? If it is, what are the ramifications of what Jesus is saying, and what does it mean for my life? So what I would like to try to do this morning is try to let the claims of Jesus, at a minimum, challenge us to think differently about forgiveness, and at best, to just completely reframe our understanding of what it means to extend forgiveness, and just shatter all the categories that we have for that. And we are going to do all of that in the next, like, 26 minutes. Good? Should we do this together? Yes. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray. If you would, just join me in prayer for one more quick minute as we open God's Word. So God, we are just so grateful for these moments together. We are so grateful that you are good, that you are here, that you are a good, good Father, and that you are, in fact, present in this place. Thank you for your word that's so full of truth, that in the places that are so hard in our hearts, which is why it's sometimes difficult for us to extend forgiveness, that you want to meet us even there. So I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be soft. Would we hear what you want to say to us this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. So when Robert asked me to uh, speak on this topic, um, this topic of extending forgiveness is something that is personally very, very near to my heart. And that came through years of journey and process. Um, my wife Sherry and I have spent the last, you know, decade or more just doing a lot of premarital counseling and marriage counseling for, for countless couples. And my wife's on her way to getting her master's in marriage and family therapy. And, and we do these things because we just believe so strongly uh, and so passionately about what God does through a marriage. And, and I think part of that is because there was a day when I was sure, like a hundred percent sure, that our marriage was over. And I had to grapple with what it means to forgive when I had been wounded and betrayed in a way that I never could have imagined as a kid growing up. So this is very, very personal to me. And we've been married 18 years, and, you know, our story is one of, of unimaginable hurt and of profound, profound healing. And our story is one of, of unthinkable brokenness and, and just indescribable restoration. 
and the love that my wife and I share for one another and, and our two boys that are over there in, in children's church, they are living, breathing proof that our God is one that takes broken things and makes them whole again and makes things new. And guys, forgiveness is somehow at the center of that. That's the reason why Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. So as I was grappling with these questions, I was left with two main questions myself. One, if I forgive, then what about justice? What do I do with forgiving and then also seeking out justice? And if I do forgive and I carry that forgiveness, what about my hurt? You ever ask these questions? You ever wonder about some of this when you think about the difficulty of forgiving people around us? And Jesus is trying to give us a framework here to understand and think about forgiveness differently. So in Matthew chapter 18, and if you have your Bible or a device or something you want to turn to it, that's great. We're going to have the, the verses on the screen as well. But in Matthew chapter 18, Peter asks this really good question. He's basically asking, how much, Jesus, how much should we forgive? Yes, we hear what you're saying about, about this new humanity that's marked by generosity and compassion and that we should forgive. But hey, Jesus, we live in the real world. So how much is actually enough? How much do we forgive? Really, really valid question here. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 is where we're going to start. It reads like this. It says, Then Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And I think Peter thinks he's being really generous here. And he says, seven times? Uh, and Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Okay. Whatever forgiveness is, and whatever Jesus is talking about here, do we think that he's talking about math? <laughs> he's not, right? It's not like it's like, oh, I've forgiven someone 76 times, just one more. I'm good. That's not what he's saying. Actually, Jesus is doing something brilliant here. Just like he often does. We, we, do, we realize it sometimes because he'll outright quote an Old Testament passage, but he is constantly quoting the Old Testament. The reason being because the entirety of the scriptures from the first page, page of Genesis to the last page of Revelation is one story about Jesus. So Jesus is actually referencing an Old Testament um, story here. Because the, the number 7 and 77 only show up one other time in the scriptures, and it's way back in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4 is a story of these two brothers, maybe you're familiar with it, Cain and Abel, and Cain becomes intensely jealous of his brother. And, and God actually warns him about that. He says to Cain, he says, hey, listen, sin is crouching at the door looking to consume you. Watch out for that. Don't let it rule over you. But instead, Cain gives himself over to that jealousy, and he murders his own brother. And that starts this generational decline from, from Cain's lineage. And what happens is, like six generations later, so Cain's great, 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 whatever, grandson, uh, his name is Lamech. And Lamech is kind of like the first poet in the Bible. He writes this poem in Genesis chapter 4. And this poem is just how, about how tough and how macho he is. And, and apparently somebody came and wronged Lamech. He wounded him. And Lamech... Cain's great-great-great-grandson, he kills him on the spot. And then Lamech says this. He says, I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who attacked me. If Cain is avenged seven times, for Lamech, it's 77 times. For I am Lamech, and I am tough. 
And what he's talking about is how there is this, this sort of limitless amount of revenge, and he takes great pride in it. And Jesus is drawing this distinction. Jesus is saying, yes, there was Lamech who exacted this limitless amount of revenge. And Lamech becomes this sort of symbol in the scriptures of our natural tendency towards claiming our right to revenge. And Jesus claims that we should be like Lamech, but in another way. 70, 77 times a limitless amount of mercy and forgiveness in his new world. And, and Jesus is claiming that forgiveness is somehow at the center of what it means to be this new human that he's bringing about. So whatever forgiveness is, if you read your Bibles even a little bit, or if you grew up in church, maybe reciting um, the Lord's Prayer, um, you get this sense that there's some connection between our having been forgiven and the call on our lives to forgive others, right? That it was right in, in Jesus' model for our prayer. What does he say? He says, our Father who, who art in heaven, sing along if you know it, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and what? Yes, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, there is some connection here. And Jesus, in, right there in his prayer, we get the sense that he's talking about, okay, well, we have been forgiven, so I have experienced something. Now, I want to now extend that same experience to somebody else. So, yes, I felt that. I experienced the benefit of being forgiven, and now I'm going to forgive somebody else. And it's, it's not less than that. But I actually think there is more to it than that. And so what is this connection between being forgiven and then forgiving others? And Jesus, like I said, he's brilliant. So what does he do here? He tells us a story to help unfold this and help us understand this a little more richly. And as he tells us this story, he really brings three things to light. He talks about the reality of forgiveness. He talks about the distortion of unforgiveness. And he talks about the promise of forgiveness, And that's quickly what we're going to cover together as we just look at this really, really profound and beautiful story that Jesus tells. So verse 23 in Matthew 18 says this. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So at this this servant falls on his knees and he says to the king, he says, be patient with me. And he begged him, I will pay back everything. The servant's master looks at him. He sees him and he takes pity on him, the scriptures say. And he cancels his debt and, it, and he lets him go. So Jesus starts out this story with the main announcement that he was making from the minute that he, he began his ministry on earth. That the kingdom of God is here, that he has come to bring about a new world made up of new humans who are living and, and um, who are in their innermost being renewed. They are the people they were created to be all along. And he, and he pronounces this and he tells this story, this guy who was 10,000 bags. Some of your scriptures, if you're, some of your translations, if you've read this before maybe, um, for some reason some translators didn't translate bags of gold, they just kept the word talents if you're familiar with that. 
And, and, and this is referring to an exorbitant amount of money. The, the, if you go to your little table of weights and measures, which you have in all of your Bibles, I don't know if you realize that, it, it'll tell you that this is like 30 years worth of salary for a regular blue-collar worker at the time. It, just pretend it's just like a gajillion dollars is what he owes. It's just an, uh, an amount that cannot be repaid. And the normal practice at that time would be if you have a debt and you can't pay it, well then you and your family enter into an indentured servitude for the person you owe the debt to until you can work it off, which in this case is 100% going to be never because of the amount that he owes. So we look at this and, and this king looks at him and he has mercy on him, he has pity on him and he, and he just cancels his debt. Now you look at that and you think, man, this guy got off easy. Like, think about the amount of money that he took from the king, and now he doesn't have to pay it back. So we wonder, where are the consequences related to that? And I think we sometimes think that are, sometimes when we forgive, that there are no consequences that go along with that. And um, so what I have here is I have my, my last, uh, my last $20 bill here. Um, I noticed when I was pulling up, um, my car was running out of gas. And I am counting on this $20 bill to put some gas in my car and get home. Otherwise, I'm going to have to walk or one of you guys are going to have to give me a, give me a ride or something. Right? So, um, but uh, listen, I'm looking forward to meeting like many of you. Um, I'd love to meet one of you right now. What's your name? Abigail. Hi, Abigail. So what's that, Abigail? You need to borrow this $20? Okay. All right, Abigail, why don't you come on up here? You don't have to do anything except take this money from me. It's really nice and easy. All right, thanks, Abigail. So Abigail has now borrowed my $20. Oh, wait, what's that, Abigail? Oh, it turns out that, oh, you, you can't pay it back. Okay, you know what? I'm going to forgive that debt. I'm going to forgive that $20 debt, and you don't have to pay me back. Okay, I have forgiven Abigail's debt of $20. Now, are there, are there now any consequences to the fact that I forgave that debt? There are. Does she have to pay the consequences of that, of that forgiveness? No. Who has to pay them? Me. I can't get home. Who's going to drive me home? I have to now absorb the consequences of that debt. Every action against another has consequences. And when we forgive, those consequences do not magically disappear. It's just that instead of making Abigail pay those consequences, I am now paying those consequences. I am now absorbing that debt. And what I think this story is trying to help us see a little bit more clearly is that Abigail now does not have to come and work for me to repay that debt. She, in fact, has that $20 in her pocket. She now has the resources that remain in her pocket. And now, when someone comes to her and asks for forgiveness of their $10 debt that they owe to her, she is not saying, I can't, I can't excuse your debt. I owe Justin $20. I need that $10 so I can pay him the $20. Instead, she now has the resources as a result of this forgiveness to now forgive someone else. And that is what Jesus is trying to help us understand here. Friends, when you are a follower of Jesus and we have experienced that forgiveness, yes, there is something beautiful and meaningful about having experienced something and then passing that experience forward. But what it also means is that you have the resources to forgive people around you. 
The bountiful, plentiful resources are with you to extend forgiveness to others. You have the resource of empathy. I love how this king, he saw this guy. He looks at him and he saw something. He saw the complexity of his humanity, that he had a family. I loved what Trevor did last week, if you were here. He, he put up these uh, cardboard cutouts of these various people, and he talked about how we tend to label one another. And that is 100% true. Think about what happens. Someone lies to you, and it's just a little short step from there as your, your mind starts to run away with the hurt that comes from having been lied to, and you label that person a liar. You cheated me. You are a cheater. We, we put these labels on people, and when we label someone, what we do is we rob them of the complexity of their story. We rob them of the complexity of all the things that may have surrounded the reason why they lied to you, the reason why they cheated you, and we just label them and we dehumanize them. And, and friends, when an entire race does that to an entire another race, when an entire people group dehumanizes another entire people group, when an entire political party completely dehumanizes another political party, we open the door and we create the space for hate. Enter Exhibit A, your, your news feed on CNN or Fox or, or whatever it is. Because we dehumanize each other. And what we have the resource to do is to have empathy, to, to see the complexity of everyone's story and be willing to feel what another person is feeling. And that's what this king did. And we have the resources to do that because we have been forgiven. That is the implication of the good news of Jesus Christ and what it means for you and for me. Empathy is seeing the complexity of every human and feeling what another person feels. And the irony here is that the servant in our story, he's only free because he was forgiven by the king, right? Otherwise, him and his family would be working for this guy. So any forgiveness that he's able to give comes from the fact that he's free himself. But this unforgiveness, it distorts his entire reality. Let's take a look at this. Verse 28. The story continues. It says, But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he says, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. The very same thing that our first guy said to the king, almost verbatim, right? But he refused instead, and he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told the, the, the master, the king, the original guy, everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, and he says, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours, and I gave you those resources back. Because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have, mer have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had done on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ooh, gets pretty intense there, right? But the reason is, it's because it's not saying, hey, Jesus is not saying, hey, just, just try harder to be more forgiving. Just muster up that strength. Like, you remember how you were forgiven. Just do that. 
It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Empowered by the resources that you have been given and are now available to you to forgive. And, and look how distorted this guy's reality is when he withholds forgiveness. Right at the beginning of verse 28, he goes and he, he, what does he do when he first sees the guy who owes him money? He grabs him, he chokes him as if violence is the thing that is going to get his debt repaid. Is it? Is that going to help him get paid back? It is not. <laughs> right? Um, he goes to his fellow servant who literally says the same thing to him. Hey, just be patient with me. And a much smaller amount of money is what he owes. And he says, just be patient with me and I will pay you back. And instead, this guy dehumanizes the other, and he says, you owe me a debt. You are a debtor. That is all that you are. There is no complexity to your story. And he dehumanizes him. And as a result, he has him thrown into prison. And what is the one thing that the guy who owes the debt cannot do if he's in prison? He can't work to get the money to pay back his debt. But how distorted is this guy's reality that he thinks that this is the way that, that um, this is going to resolve itself. Now, it is 100% true. I have lived this firsthand, friends. This old adage that says unforgiveness is the poison we drink and expect the other person to die. Have you heard that before? Because it's toxic. It, it, it eats away at you. It, it's, it's like this meme. Maybe you've seen this meme before where this... Uh, this this little dog or whatever is like in this fire drinking the coffee and he, then he's, he's right in the middle of it and he says, this is fine. Because that's how it is. It's insidious. It, unforgiveness is insidious. It slowly eats away at you with this, with this toxicity. And we withhold forgiveness because we think that we lack the resources to forgive generously. And so we hoard and we try to protect what we believe is ours. And it begs the question, if I forgive, then that, and those consequences remain, I'm out those $20, then what do I do with that? And there is a promise that comes along with this forgiveness, and that is the reality that Jesus, in fact, knows and understands so deeply and so, so richly and so profoundly every single thing that we are experiencing. There is no hurt. There is no heartache. There is no betrayal. There is nothing that we can experience that Jesus has not himself experienced. So what the promise is, is that we are not alone. The writer of Hebrews, well, Eugene Peterson paraphrases the writer of Hebrews, uh, beautifully like this in chapter 4. He says, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, but, the, but with all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. How amazing is it that Jesus has experienced everything we have experienced. And that God comes and walks alongside us with empathy. You know, I often think about how with my kids, um, I've got two boys, 9 and 11, and um, they, you know, sometimes one of the kids will come home from school and they'll be really sad and I'll be like, hey, what happened, bud? And he'll talk about how, oh, some kids made fun of me at school and they excluded me from a game. And, and then he'll start crying. And... I'm his, I'm, his, I'm his father. I'm his dad. 
But I didn't cause that. That happened because the world is broken. And kids are broken, and they're complex, and they're hurting, and his feelings got hurt. So what do I do as his dad? I get down on one knee, and I get real close to him, and I hold him, and I tell him that what those kids said is not true, that he is who God says he is, and I tell him that he's valuable, and I cry with him. And we tend to think when these, when these heartaches come into our lives, we're like, God, why are you doing this to me? God is not doing this to you. Heartache comes into our life because the world is broken. But we serve a God who took the form of a man and came here and has experienced every heartache that we could possibly imagine. And what, the, what that means for you and me is that he meets with us in that difficulty. He meets with us in that heartache. He's the father who comes down on one knee and says, hey, what you're experiencing and the way that you're feeling about yourself is not who you are. And you are, in fact, who I say you are. I am making you into a new human, the one I intended you to be all along. That is the, the, the implication and the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the amazing part about it is we get to bear that presence, the presence of Jesus, that love, that empathy to one another. That's, what, that's what's happening here that's what church is. This is a community of followers of Jesus, of new humans now relating to each other in a new way. That's what this series is about, the meaning of life. It's about the fact that new humans relate to one another in a new way and do life in a new way and live in community in a new way, the way that we were designed to all along, a community marked by compassion and by generosity and by love for one another and by forgiveness because we are equipped with the resources to forgive one another. So what does it look like for us to claim this promise of Jesus and to, to give those consequences to Christ? Well, I would say this. It is good, it is right for us to allow ourselves to feel the hurt and the heartache that comes along with being wronged because it does hurt. And it is not more holy to just somehow ignore that. Part of what it means is that we are made in the image of God is that we feel and to lean into that is good and right. And to allow for, for a community of people to come around you and help you navigate that is good and is right. And we can welcome God's presence into that hurt. And when we've been wronged by another, would we choose to see the complexity of that person that wronged us and resist the temptation to just label them? You lied to me. You're a liar. You cheated me. You are a cheater. And would we resist the temptation to label and dehumanize others? And would we know that even the consequences of that hurt, even the heartache that you feel when you have been wronged in some way, that even the, the, the consequences of that were nailed to a cross. And that's the reason why giving over our heartache to, to Jesus is not some like amorphous, like theological idea that just exists out in the, the cosmos somewhere. It's It's real. Because Jesus came and he was nailed to a cross. And the consequences of even the, 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 the wrong that was done against you and the heartache that goes along with that, those consequences were also nailed to that cross. And that's why we can freely give that to Jesus. And that doesn't mean the pain goes away and the heartache goes away because we know it's still there and there's a process. But a God who loves you and empathizes with you, he meets with you, he touches you through other people in your life. 
to remind you of that reality. So what does this forgiveness really look like? If I'm going to actually forgive someone, and, and, and you know, I think a, the, a big misunderstanding as it relates to this is that this is somehow a call on our lives to be like a doormat. That forgive, forgive, forgive again is some call in our lives to just completely like let people walk all over you. And that is definitely not true because if you read the passage right before this, maybe you're familiar with it, Jesus talks a little bit about conflict resolution. And he says, if somebody has wronged you, what do you do? Anybody know? Go and talk to them, right? Go and talk to them and let them know the way that you've been hurt by them. And then if that doesn't work, grab a friend and bring them with you and talk to them together. And he goes through this whole process. He is in no, so unless he's talking out of two sides of his mouth, he is not saying that we should be a doormat here. But what he is saying is that he is inviting us to know that because of the resources that we have been given, we can take a posture of forgiveness, of readiness to forgive, a posture of forgiveness. And that when someone does, in fact, have that, you have that conversation with someone and that you are able to extend that forgiveness that has been requested of you and you're ready to do it and you extend that forgiveness to someone else, well, what does that in the end look like? And I would say, and I'll close with this, I would say it looks like these three things. One, I will choose not to bring this up to you again. I will choose not to bring this up to you again. And these things are nothing more than a picture of the way that we've been forgiven. That's the resource you've been given. You know, we tend to think that um, this means that you just forget. Like, we can just erase it. Like, we, we look at the scriptures and we say that, that God remembers our sins no more. And we think that God is like, I know there was something between us. I can't remember what it is. That's not, that's not what it means. That he, it's not that he forgot. It's that he is choosing not to hold it against us anymore. He is choosing not to bring it up again. And that is a difficult choice. But it's what it means to forgive. Two, I, I will choose not to bring this up to others. It's a more difficult one. Yeah, I won't talk with you about it, Abigail, but I am definitely going to talk with this guy about how you, you know, the $20. <laughs> um, listen, there's hurt, there's heartache. And as I said, we are not minimizing that. We are not dismissing that. So there's a process there's a process of allowing people to gather around you and navigate that pain and navigate that heartache. But we are choosing not to bring it up with others in the context of unforgiveness. And finally, I will not bring this up to myself again. That's a tough one. I will not bring this up to myself. And again, there is hurt, there is heartache, and we process that. We allow Jesus to empathize with us, which he does, and we allow others to journey with us through that. But he walks with us, and we will choose not to bring this up to myself again. You know, it's, it's like when you've, when you've been hurt, it's like, it's, like you've, it's like when you have this wound, right? Like, a, let's just say I had a giant gash in my arm. And when that thing first starts to heal, and it just scabs over, if I pick at it, what's going to happen? It's going to bust wide open again, and it's going to hurt a lot. And the closer in time I am to that healing, the more readily I'm going to be able to just bust that thing open and make it hurt again when I pick at it, unless I choose not to. And even after years go by and it heals, there might be a little nerve or tissue damage or something where if I pick at it hard enough, it will hurt again, won't it? And what we are choosing here is allow, allowing God to be the one who brings about the healing, and I will choose not to pick at it. 
And yes, I still feel that it hurts. It's healing. I still feel the pain of it. But I am choosing not to pick at it. And I am choosing to allow God to bring about healing. That is the, that is the message of, of the gospel. It is, it is this. It, it is the fact that our sin and, and the consequences of our sin were absorbed on a cross. And now that Jesus, now Jesus offers us his life, that everything that is true about him is true about you in the gospel. So now you, just like Jesus, is equipped with the resources to forgive. And it's not about me mustering up the strength to try to forgive as best I can and try to, to emulate what Jesus did for me, though that is good and there is something to that. But I think it's helpful for us to see that in the gospel, we can know in the deepest part of our being that you, friends, followers of Jesus, that we are equipped with the resources. You have the resources to extend forgiveness. And as we have communion together in a minute, this is this beautiful, tangible symbol of the fact that we have been forgiven more richly, more profoundly, and we have been given the resources. Jesus' life is now being offered to you and offered to me as he makes us into the new humans that he intended us to be all along.